Hi there, I'm Jolyn McCarthy and welcome to Two Question Tuesday. Each week, Two Question Tuesday answers randomly picked questions submitted by our client. Answering this week's questions, we have with us Phil D'Angelo, Managing Director of Focus Wealth Management, and Mike Pizzani, Director of Financial Planning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Jolyn. Okay, Phil, our first question is from Michael in Florida. What are the firm's thoughts on the rising capital gains taxes? Well, yeah, so last week uh, that that hit the markets, uh, hit the news wires. Um, uh, the, the Biden-Harris administration proposal uh, to take it to 43.4% uh, on capital gains uh, it would be the highest of all time. Um, you know, right now, uh, short-term capital gains is at ordinary income. Uh, so the highest rate on ordinary income right now is, is 37% currently. Uh, long-term capital gains are taxed at 20% plus the 38 uh, Obamacare surcharge, so 23.8%. Uh, mind you, that that's one of the lowest rates uh, of all time. Uh, but uh, I think 43.4% is a lot of political posturing. Uh, I, I, you have people on both sides of the aisle uh, talking about how that number is just uh, far too high. Um, actually, great article. Uh, big fan of, obviously, current news in this weekend's Wall Street Journal. Uh, and a great quote from that article, um, as a former president once said, the tax on capital gains directly affects investment decisions, the mobility and flow of risk capital from static to more dynamic situations, the ease or difficulty experienced by new ventures in obtaining capital, and thereby the strength and potential uh, for growth of our economy. Mike, you want to take a historical stab at which president said that? Historical stab at which president said that? I mean, didn't Bush lower the capital gains rate? But I'm going to say somebody far preceded him. Okay. Not Reagan, Kennedy. John F. Kennedy said that, um, really arguing for uh, capital formation uh, for businesses and, uh, and, and, and lower uh, long-term rates on, on cap gains. So, um, you know, I, I think when you look at, at the current structure, uh, you know, first of all, it's not indexed for inflation. Uh, so if you have a long-term capital gain that's out there for many years, uh, it does not get indexed for inflation. So it's a real dollar number that people are paying. Um, secondly, um, losses can offset long-term gains. Uh, however, if your losses exceed your gains, you can only write off $3,000 a year. Uh, so right now it's kind of tilted, uh, you know, in, in that fashion. So um, what do I think? I think that, you know, currently uh, it definitely encourages savings and investment, definitely encourages you to put monies, uh, you know, away in the markets. Another interesting statistic, 25% uh, of all U.S. investors' monies are in taxable accounts, only 25%. Three quarters of U.S. investors' monies lie, you know, pensions, IRAs, 401ks, and whatnot in qualified, you know, non-taxable accounts. That 25% number, though, that resides in the taxable, uh, you know, non-qualified accounts, uh, that's a big number, okay? So, uh, you know, I think that this is political uh, posturing. It is 43.4% uh, on over a million dollars in income. Uh, it does seem a little bit punitive to me. Actually, it would be one of the highest taxes out there. 
uh, and basically a double taxation on, on, on corporations as well, because the corporate tax is moving up and, and that gets hit. And then the dividends or cap gains to shareholders would then get hit. So I think that this is just jawboning. We'll see where it goes. Where, where may it go? Uh, you know, again, if you're at 20 uh, and 3.8 right here, maybe somewhere back in the middle, uh, you know, into the mid 30s, something like that, uh, where it was uh, under, uh, you know, prior, uh, let's say in the Clinton years, uh, prior to the George H, uh, sorry, George W. Uh, Bush tax cuts uh, of uh, 2003, I believe it was. So that's what we're thinking. Uh, doesn't pay to sell stocks uh, yet to get ahead of, of this potential raise in, in long-term cap gains. Yeah, and I like how you hit that the majority of capital that's invested in markets is in tax-deferred accounts, because that's one thing that I was reading and looking up on over the weekend. So it's not going to affect a lot of people, even though a number of people will ultimately sort of complain about it. I personally think it's dead on arrival. You know, the Democrats want like a $3 trillion stimulus package and the Republicans won't give it to them. So the Democrats are just like, oh, well, we'll hike the capital gains tax. And then if they give back on the capital gains tax, then the Republicans might give back on the infrastructure package. So it's a lot of political back and forth and jawboning with everything that ultimately at the end of the day, I'm not necessarily necessarily sure is going to come to fruition and represent a, a, a massive number. Yeah. And the timing is really bad, right? I mean, to have a hike like this, uh, when you have done everything you could to stimulate the U.S. economy and it's really in a good spot, uh, and Europe, you know, uh, was a little bit late. They stimulated, and you know, they're doing every monetary measure and fiscal measure they can to get things back on track. Uh, you know, uh, this is a ba basically an anti-policy response at the time, right? So, got to be careful with time. Encourage people to save money like this for the future and retirement and stuff like that, to tax it at such a high rate is kind of sort of just hurts the entire process. <laughs> capital. Look, we all realize someone's got to pay for this stuff too. We realize rates probably have to go up uh, in some shape or form. Uh, but I think a more measured response calculated and perhaps not as knee jerk, right? As, as different administrations come and tax policy changes on whims, uh, it would be nice, uh, you know, to have a, a more proper uh, structure going forward uh, than, you know, whoever wins is the flavor of the moment and, and takes, you know, rates to where they're at. Um, very hard to plan long term business wise uh, with such volatility in your in your, you know, uh, legislation, I guess. I want to say one more little quick thing, which is the thing that irks me the most about the entire tax code. Phil, how long have you been doing this? This uh, May will actually be my 25th year at the firm, four as an intern, 21 full-time. How long has the capital loss been $3,000 a year? <laughs> Since the 1970s. Never been changed. Nope. If you're married filing jointly, it's still $3,000. If you're single, it's, it's $3,000. Maybe they should look at changing that if they want to change the capital gains, right? Because <laughs> it's, yeah. never, it's never been altered. Great point, Mike. Great point. Yep. Great point. All right, Mike, we have another tax question from Buddy in New York. I recently saw an article about the SECURE Act and required minimum distribution rules being unfriendly for taxes. Can you please explain? Yeah, so this represents a pretty interesting planning opportunity that uh, hits a lot of the baby boomer generation because, what, so again, we've talked about this a few times, so I'll backtrack a little bit. What happened with the SECURE Act and RMDs is that the SECURE Act changed the rule. Previously, 
if you were a non-spouse beneficiary of a retirement account, you had to withdraw the money over your uniform life expectancy table, which means you had to take a little bit of money out every single year. Spouses can inherit each other's retirement accounts and IRAs and make them their own. So it's not a spousal type thing. But upon the passing of the second spouse, the beneficiaries, usually children, would have to withdraw the money over a 10-year window. So it's a significantly larger number that's going to flow through in taxes for those. And uh, just to give a basic real-life example, if you have a million dollars in IRAs upon the passing of the second spouse, say you just have one child, and that child is probably in their working years, that's $100,000 a year that's going to flow into their income in addition to their regular income. So what it's going to do is it's going to cause a lot of that retirement account money, instead of being deferred and growing over the course of time, to be taxed at a much higher rate because you have the regular income from the, the, the non-spouse beneficiary plus the investment retirement income that's flowing through. So it causes a much higher tax bill. So what do you do about this? There's a few things that you can look at and potentially do about it. Roth conversions are one. Um, another would be RMD planning and basically filling up of various tax brackets. We've had a lot of those conversations with clients. If you're in the 12 or 22% bracket, we're basically trying to do certain things and take withdrawals from accounts to accelerate them and maybe fill those brackets up. Because again, if you have a working uh, non-spouse beneficiary plus $100,000, you're getting up into that 30% range. So you're really saving somewhere between 20 and 10% in the aggregate tax rate. The other thing that you can potentially consider is doing some type of estate planning, life insurance planning in conjunction with RMDs. Um, that's something that's become a little bit more um, pronounced over the course of the last few years in response to uh, the RMD planning that we've done. So those are three particular examples, but it is not a tax-friendly change and people definitely should be aware of that. Hey, the other thing too, don't forget, if you belong to a church or synagogue and they're a qualified non-for-profit, you can pay your you know, dues, right? And take deductions if it's gifts, not dues, but gifts. Uh, and mm -hmm. the gift that you have should come directly out of your IRA uh, instead, of, instead of cash. Yeah, and it can be especially useful for people with large retirement account balances who don't necessarily need the money that they're taking with RMDs. You can do different things to supplement and change over that structure a little bit to make it more tax efficient long term. A lot of changes, man. And look how this all factors in, right? I mean, both questions really coincide. And there's even more that are going to come. Yeah, yeah. So yes. we're on top of it for our clients and, you know, it's tax season. So reach out to your accountant, too, if you have any tax questions uh, on any of these matters, because they are qualified to, to handle those questions. And uh, the investment strategy obviously coincides with that uh, as we go forward here, um, but they can th certainly help you. So we encourage everybody to make sure you have great tax advice from your CPA. All right. Well, thank you both for answering this week's questions. If you have a question you'd like to submit, email us at jmccarthy at focusedwealthmgmt.com. Stay safe, and we will see you next week. Take care.